Let's turn in God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 2. And once more we'll read from verses 1 right through to verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through to 10. Peter 2 verse 1 Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth in him shall not be confounded. But unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, for unto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from First Peter chapter 2 and the second part of verse 7 and verse 8. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, were unto also they were appointed. Now my subject today is a very solemn one. I've entitled it, How God Deals with Disobedient Sinners. Now having announced the text and having announced the theme, let me state a number of truths regarding this text and theme today. I want you to think first of all of the subject of disobedient sinners. Now notice the contrast in verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. And we dealt with that subject at two Lord's Day mornings ago. And we noticed a number of truths there about Christ and the believer's attitude of him. 
Look at the second part of the verse, starting with the word but, but unto them which be disobedient. Now, here are two categories of people, two camps of people, two classes. There are those who are true and genuine believers, and to them Jesus Christ is most precious. He is someone of great intrinsic worth and of value to them. He is highly esteemed by them. He is highly valued and prized by them. In fact, every true genuine believer will always highly esteem, highly value, highly prize Christ. However, there are those who are unbelievers. And to them he is not precious. Sadly, they have no regard for him. They refuse to come to him. They have refused to taste of him. They have refused to believe in him. They disobey him. They they stumble over him. Now, I, I stress that because I want you to see that the apostle is setting forth a contrast here. On the one hand, you have believers enjoying Christ enjoying all the blessings and benefits of Christ's redemptive work. And it's an honor for them to be saved and to know Christ. And I've said to to them, he's highly precious. And they are those that don't. Notice the words, but unto them which be disobedient. And then he adds, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. For unto also they were appointed. And then he goes back again to speak to true believers. But ye are a chosen generation in verse 9. Now let me try and illustrate. I want you to think of a magnet. And the pulls of a magnet. There's two pulls of a magnet. One pull to receive. And another pull that can repel. One to draw something. And the other to to, to drive away. And the apostle is saying here that Jesus Christ is really the holy magnet. And there are those in the world who are savingly drawing to Christ. And they have got a spiritual desire after him and for him. And sadly, there are some who are driven away from him because of their spiritual disobedience toward him. Having a appeal to the experience of those drawn to Christ in verse 7. He's saying to them, this is your experience. This is your testimony. Christ is most precious to you who believe. But he's saying to them, remember, there are others in the church, in the community, in the country, and you're aware of them, and they are rejectors of Christ. They are repelled by him. They refuse him. I trust that you've got the picture. Two camps, two categories, two classes. One drawn to Christ, and the other driven from Christ because of disobedience. You see, Peter here is dealing with a problem. I want you to remember he's writing to a church that's experiencing great trials and difficulties. There's a wave of persecution has engulfed them. There's much opposition. And you can just imagine the question being asked by those in the church and those on the outside. If 
Jesus Christ is so wonderful and so precious, as you say, and the only way of salvation and the only foundation stone of salvation, then, then why do so many reject him? Why isn't everybody going for it? Why isn't everybody embracing the gospel? If Jesus Christ is so precious and so worth dying for and so worth living for, then, then why isn't everybody following Christ? And you see, Peter is dealing with that problem. He is answering it. Yes, there are those who are drawn to Christ. But there are others who are not. Why are they not drawn to Christ? Here's the answer. They are disobedient. They stumble at the word that they have heard being disobedient. They, they are appointed in this matter. Now, that's the subject of disobedient sinners. Notice that secondly, and I've tried to keep this very simply, and I trust I've got the right sense of the text, the summary of disobedient sinners. You see, if you take the words here, but under them would be disobedient, and underline the word disobedient, uh, and again in verse 8, you've got the word disobedient, so it's there twice. Now, what does that mean to us? What does it mean to be a disobedient sinner? Can we give a little summary? So we're going to have some insight. Well, let me just try and answer that. Every disobedient sinner has a spirit of disbelief. A person who has got and considers the opposite view of what God says and thinks about their soul, the Savior, salvation, and sin. You see, we're forced to think, and we have thought in the past, of the Father's estimate of the Son. And what does the Father think of him? He's a living stone. Chosen of God, he's elect, he is precious to the Father. But disbelieving sinners do not share nor hold God's estimate of his Son. God says one thing about Christ, and they allege and say the opposite. And really, at the heart of that, there's a spirit of disbelief about what God says about his son. Now, now, what can be worse, folks, than disagreeing with what God Almighty says about his son? <coughs> Over there in uh, Luke uh, chapter 10 and in the uh, verse uh, 16, uh, the Lord uh, Jesus um, says this, He that heareth you heareth me. And he that despiseth you despiseth me. And he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. He said to the folks in his day, if you despise me, you're despising also the father that sent me. And of course, that's true. If we use the word deny me, you'll deny the father that sent him. If you defy me, you'll defy the Father that sent me. If you distrust me, you'll distrust the Father that sent me. <coughs> See, many today, of course, say that God is wrong. 
Many today will say, well, Christ means nothing to me. He's not precious to me. And of course, that's a sign when folks talk and think like this, that they're not born again, that they're not a true believer. But more than that, it's surely a perilous, wicked thing to do because it's connected with pure, blatant unbelief. Who wants to disagree with God? Surely it's a monstrous thing to disagree with God. It's an awful thing. Thinking that I'm wiser and I know better than God. God says this about sin. God says this about salvation. My soul. He says this about the Savior. But I disagree. Why? Blatant disbelief. A spirit of disbelief. Not only a spirit of disbelief, but a spirit of disobedience. Uh, notice it says in verse 8, which stumble at the word. Now we've already seen in the context here, Peter using the word, taste it, verse 3, if so be you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. The word coming, to whom coming is unto a living stone. And we've also seen him use the word believe. Uh, and believe F, verse 6 and verse 7. And you see, these are all terms that point to having faith in Jesus Christ that saves the soul. In fact, we're commanded in the Bible uh, to believe. Um, over there in First John chapter 3, and um, it's the verse uh, 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. See, the Bible says, repent ye and believe the gospel. Uh, Peter uh, or, or sorry, Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it's the duty, I believe, of every unsaved sinner to believe the gospel. And here's a call for obedience to the gospel. Every sinner is commanded to come to Christ, to taste of Christ. To believe on Christ. Let's illustrate that. Think of a man drowning in the sea. And you've got the rescue helicopter that comes and hovers overhead. You've got the winch man. You've got the winch rope and it's gone down into the sea. And the winch man says to the drowning individual, grab this rope or, 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 or put this around you. And the winch man is giving the drowning person an <coughs> order or an instruction. And it's the voice of authority, isn't it? But it's also the voice of compassion. It's the voice of mercy. It's the voice of care. Now imagine that drowning man refusing to heed that instruction. And he's saying, but it's not a big thing. It's okay. And he doesn't bother. And imagine he's saying this against this word of authority and mercy and compassion and care. You would say it's madness. You see, this is not an innocent matter. This is not just a spirit of disbelief, disagreeing with God, thinking that you're wiser. But this is blatant 
disobedience. The Bible talks about them that obey not the gospel. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. You see, it's a spirit of rebellion. It's a spirit of treason. It's a bold refusal. And we can dress it up as much as we want. The Bible said sin is the transgression of the law. It's a spirit of disobedience. It's also a spirit of deception. You see, many people say today, and we, we've heard it, I'm neutral when it comes to the things of God. I'm in the middle. There might be two camps, but I'm in between the two camps. And I want to say this morning that you're not. To set the command to the one side is a refusal to comply. And if you're not a believer, then you're in the camp of unbelievers. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. You could argue, but I'm not against God and I'm not against Jesus. I, I, I come to church and I read my Bible and I say my prayers and I respect uh, uh, of respectful of religion and I, I respect Jesus. But in Titus 3 and 3, the apostle could say that we were sometimes foolish, thought we were wiser than God. We were sometimes disobedient, but we were also sometimes deceived. The wool had been pulled over our eyes. Remember Jesus said to the people in his day, you will not come to me that you might have life. Imagine being deceived that you've cut yourself off from the only saviour. Think of your loss. How loving and caring and merciful Christ is. Think of Christ wanting to do good, to, to impart life, abundant life and eternal life. And much more, many other blessings beside. To give you the honour and privilege of being one of his children. And you cut yourself off from him. You, you're, you're so spiritually blind you can't see it. And of course it makes no difference to Christ. Notice what he says in verse 7. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Now, now let's think of an illustration. Let's think about the building of the temple. Uh, the building of Solomon's temple. Every stone was cut. And squared and shaped. And then it was examined by the master builder. And there were some stones that the master builder revered. And there were some stones that he rejected. It, we, we'll imagine that here's a stone that was rejected. Set to the one side. And when they come to the near the end of the building. And they're looking for the capstone. The, 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 they're looking for, for the headstone of the corner. The stone that holds it all together. And somebody says, but there's only one stone that's available. And it's the stone that was rejected. And that's the very stone that's now being revered as the head of the corner. That's the picture. And this was used to vindicate Christ. 
This was used to, to reveal the victory and the triumph of Christ in Psalm 118 and, and verse 22. See, in the end of the day, Christ will always have his glory. And your refusal and rejection of him will not reflect on any of his worth or value or, or destroy any of the efficacy of Christ. There will be no loss in the part of Christ. He will have his people. The loss will be yours. Here's a summary of disobedient sinners. What does the word mean? It, it means to disbelieve God in the gospel. It, it means to, to, to be in defiance and, and to disobey the command of God. But it also means to be deceived. Because you're going to be the loser at the end of the day. Notice also the, the source of disobedient sinners. Jeremiah, I, I believe, answers this uh, very, very aptly. He, he says in Jeremiah uh, 17 and in the uh, verse 9, The heart is deceitful and above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, the most deceitful thing in this earth is the human heart. And it's not only deceitful, but it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Here's the answer. I, the Lord, search the heart. You see, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. You think of the, the, the individual sinner without Christ, and he's dead in trespasses and sin. He's got a polluted fountain. He's got a, a hard heart. He's got a closed mind. He, he's darkened. He's depraved. He, he, there's a bold defiance of God. As the Bible says, but we have summary in Romans 3 and 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. By nature, he has no love for God. He has no desire for God. Uh, all that matters to him, that, that drives and motivates him, drives and, uh, him away from God. If we could use a further biblical illustration, not only is his heart wrong and wicked, but in Genesis 6 and 5, Mentions the days of Noah, a day when many had no fear of God, when there was violence, when people lived to please themselves, people did that which was right in their own eyes. It says in Genesis 6 and 5 that the thoughts and intents of his heart were wicked continually. See, there's a photograph of the human heart. The heart is so depraved that this individual thinks that he has the right to do what he likes, to say what he likes, that nobody can command him. Nobody can tell him what to do. Nobody can control him. And yet he never thinks for a moment that his disobedience, his disobedience to God and the gospel, and that that's it. You see, this is not a, a light matter. This is a terrible, grievous sin. This is a serious thing to be amongst those that disobey God. This is a sign of stubbornness. Like Pharaoh, who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's the sign of a hardened, depraved heart. There's the source of his disobedience. He was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. 
Notice something else here very quickly. Not only the, the subject, not only a summary, not only the source, but think of the stumbling of disobedient sinners. It says in verse 8, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Now I want you to think of Christ. He's just been made the headstone of the corner. And true believers in Christ will never be confounded. They'll never be put to shame by him. They've been given a, a position and a place of honor to them. He is precious. But to the Christ rejecter, the same Christ that's precious, and the headstone of the corner to every believer, he is also still the headstone of the corner. He's a stone of stumbling to the unbeliever. He's a rock of offense to the unbeliever. See, it doesn't dilute the power of Christ. He's still the head. He's still the chief cornerstone. I want you to think of the individual sinner stumbling over Christ. Stumbling, it speaks of falling over. It speaks of being overtaken, even with loss. An individual not enjoying the blessings and benefits of being in Christ. Christ is not precious to them. They have no honor of him. No joy of being found in him. Christ is to them but the stone of stumbling. A rock of offense. And yet Christ is still precious. He is still the only saviour. He has not said it not by this Father. Your rejection of him doesn't change the demands of the gospel. Your rejection of him will only result in your personal ruin. It doesn't destroy that Christ is the only saviour of sinners. Let me just turn you to Luke chapter 20 for a moment. Here's the parable of the husband man. And remember he has got this vineyard. And as the owner of the vineyard he has the right to expect fruit from it. You, you would accept that. And um, the husband man has put the vineyard in the charge of other men. And he sends his servants to get fruit. And they beat them. They send them away. First servant, the second servant, the third servant. And then he sends his son, his, his, his beloved son. Isn't that what he says in verse 13? What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. And what happens? They murder him. And then the question is asked. What therefore shall the Lord of that vineyard do unto them? Verse 15. And here's the answer. He shall come and destroy these husbandmen. And shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it they said. God forbid. And look at verse 17. And he beheld them and said. What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon this stone shall be broken, 
but in whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. In other words, everyone that rejects Christ, that rejection will result in their ruin. And that individual sinner will experience the full wrath of God. He will experience the full severity of God's judgment. The rejection of the Savior results in the ruin of the sinner. And that's irrefutable and that's final. It's not to do with annihilation. It's the sinner being without God and without hope in this world. And I know that that may not be popular. I know it may not be politically correct. But I want to tell you it's the word of God. Jesus Christ will always be exalted, even in the ruin of the sinner. Jesus Christ will always be precious. Jesus Christ will always be honourable amongst his people. But Jesus Christ will all, always deal with those who stumble over him. And they will face eternal ruin and suffer his wrath. Are you amongst those today that are stumbling over the word that you've heard preached? Think you're wiser than God? You've been disobedient to date. You're deceived in your heart and mind. Are you a Christ receiver or a Christ rejecter? Notice one final thing here. And this is really the heart of the message. And I want you to think of the sentencing of disobedient sinners. It says, For unto also they were appointed. You see, this passage deals with the subject of what we call in theological terms reprobation. Remember, we're dealing with disobedient <coughs> sinners. Always keep that in mind. And there's another subject here, the subject of election that we'll see in a fortnight's time after Children's Day. And I want you to notice that both subjects are clearly taught here in the Word of God. I know this is a solemn text, but here it is in the Bible. You see, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God. In fact, I believe all of the Bible to be all of the Word of God. Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22. The first in and the last, amen. Nothing trite in saying that. We accept it not only in theological terms, but we accept it in practice. All of the Bible is the infallible, the inerrant and authoritative word of God. And when the scripture runs contrary to my notion, my thinking, my view, then I have to set that view and thinking and notion to the one side so that I'm not amongst those that tamper with the word of God. And also the Bible presents... The fact that there's one true and living God and one way of salvation and one redeemer of sinners. And in so doing, by, by presenting the fact that there's one God and one way of salvation and one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it doesn't contradict itself. There's no contradictions in the Bible. You see, I can say this morning, I believe in the sovereignty of God and the salvation of the sinner because salvation is all of God from start to finish. It's all of God's grace. I also believe this morning in the free offer of the gospel. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news to, to every creature. And I believe in the God of the Bible. 
as he has revealed himself in the Holy Scriptures. And I come to the Bible as a, as a humble servant. And I come and put myself under the word. And even in those difficult passages, even in those things that are hard to be understood, I, I still have to put myself under the scriptures, never above the scriptures. You see, there are those today in the Christian church, sadly, that make, I believe, too much of this final part of our text in verse 8, for unto also they were appointed. And there are those that say that, the only thing that has made men sinners is God's decree. God decreed men as sinners. Therefore, they're doomed and damned. And on the other scale, there are those that look at this text and say <clears throat> that God hasn't the right to treat one person differently from another person. That's utter rubbish. That's nonsense. We're creatures of clay, made in the image of God, and God has a right to do with creatures of clay as he sees fit. Think of the, the potter who makes pots. Well, he could make one beautiful, he could make one ugly. He could make one big, he could make one small. He could make one and smash it. And he could make one for whatever purpose he has. And that's Paul's argument, of course, in Romans chapter 9, if you care to deal with the, the subject of election. Let me just say this as we come to a conclusion, because I, I don't want to complicate it. <clears throat> the Bible teaches that we're all sinners before God. The Bible teaches, secondly, that we're all guilty sinners before God. Thirdly, the Bible teaches us that all sinners are under the wrath of God. Ezekiel 18 and 4, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death. And you see... <coughs> Sin puts a man under the justice and under the holiness and under the law of God. Now let's get the picture. We're all sinners by nature and practice. We're all guilty sinners because we have broken the law of God. Sin's a transgression of the law. We're all under the wrath of God. Let me say also that not all sinners will be saved. I don't believe in a universal salvation. Every sinner will not be in heaven. Here's a verse that talks about two categories, two classes, two groups of people. Those who believed and those who are disobedient. Also we can say that God in mercy has chosen some to eternal life. And chosen them through no merit on their part. He didn't choose them because he foresaw certain things in them. He didn't even choose them because he foresaw a spirit of faith in them. He chose them out of love, grace, and mercy. And there are some whom God chooses to suffer wrath. You see, the same God who appoints the stone. Look at verse 6. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. The word lay means appoint. And then in verse 8, For unto also they were appointed. If he appoints the stone... He appoints the stumblers. And who are the stumblers? Well, we're given the answer. Disobedient sinners. Now, it's not someone who wants to come to Christ. It's not someone who's crying, I want to be saved. Lord, save me. He's talking about disobedient sinners. There's no such thing of a sinner saying, I want to be saved, God, and you won't save me. 
That's a fallacy. That's a falsehood. He's talking about disobedient sinners. Those that are dead in trespasses and sin. Those that are full of disbelief. Those that are full of a spirit of disobedience. Those that are determined to live and remain in their sin. Those that are deceived. Who have no time for God or the things of God. Or a love for God. Their hearts opposed to God. And they're a object to all that God says and all that God does. That they're rebels by nature and rebels by practice. You see, reprobation of the wicked proceeds on the basis of their sin. They stumble at the word. Why? Because they are disobedient. It's not the picture of a people or an individual who wants to be saved and wants to repent. It's on the basis of their sin. And they're getting nothing more than they simply deserve. And God's treating sinners exactly as they deserve. And if they're willfully disobedient, then their rejection of Christ will bring about their ruin and their fall. They were appointed to destruction and damnation. Because of their sin of wicked disobedience. The sentence of disobedient sinners. Now let's close this morning. We're dealing with a very difficult subject. Let's face the fact that there are those in the church, the community, and in the country who are disobedient sinners. And how, how do we know them? They think they're wiser than God. And they're disobedient to God's word. And they're deceived in themselves. And the source of their problem is the state of their human heart. They're dead to God and dead in their sin. And when they hear the gospel of Christ, they stumble over it. And because they're disobedient, they'll be sentenced as God has appointed them. And on the basis of their sin... They'll get their just deserts. Now let me ask this question. Is it possible this morning. That there's one amongst us. And you're in this category. If that's your case. Could I remind you. That you're commanded to taste. You're commanded to come. You're commanded to believe. And I would urge you to go to Christ. And even if you're not conscious of your sin and don't feel it as a felt reality, call on the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Show me my sinfulness. Show me how wicked my heart really is, Lord. Lord, I, I want to be saved. And remember, Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And you know, on that day, you'll never be able to blame God. And you'll not be able to say, God, but you didn't choose me. And I didn't know I wasn't among your people. On the basis of your sin. You'll be received into heaven. Or refused entry. You'll hear depart. And it'll be in that basis. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to your heart this morning.